You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. What if I told you that you could have a redo? A redo. Like you could go back and you could pay one day out of your life and you could go redo it. Would you take me up on it? What would you do? What would be the day that you would choose? What would be the moment? Would it be maybe that you could relive a glory day? I will never forget. It's, it might sound stupid, but I'm serious. I will never forget my first hit in Little League. Like, bam. And I remember, I remember my coach coming to me and said, son, you're a hero. And I'm not talking about a sandwich. And I remember going, I don't have any idea what that means, yay! But I felt so good because he was cheering for me. Like, what would you do if you could go relive a moment? Uh, If we're smart, we probably wouldn't just go and relive a good moment. Like, that was good, let's do it again. Would you maybe go back and undo a bad thing you did? Unsay something that you said, that big, fat, stupid sentence that came out of your mouth at the wrong time? Or, Or maybe that job offer that you turned down that, man, I really wish... I would have accepted, or that, that date that you didn't go on that you're like, ah, blew it. <laughs> totally should have taken her up on that offer to go on a date. What would you redo? What would you change? What would you re-say? How would you re-act? This movie that we're looking at this week uh, in the I Want a Movie Life series is a movie called Edge of Tomorrow starring Tom Cruise, and he actually does a lot of running in that movie too. It's pretty funny. Um, but he kind of gets that opportunity. What if you could relive a day. It's a theme that's been played on a lot of movies. Uh, to me, the, the most, the preeminent of reliving a day movies is what? Groundhog Day, right? Groundhog Day. Bill Murray, poor guy, wakes up to the same song. as it Sonny and Cher every morning? And he's, he's listening, and he's, he's got to live the same day over and over until he, I don't know, discovers true love or until there's six more weeks of winter. I'm not sure like where the line there is, but, like, that's, is, but this is nothing like Groundhog Day, but Tom Cruise has kind of the same experience. What's happening is Tom Cruise, uh, once again, the earth is being attacked by aliens. It just, it keeps happening and so in movies. And so Tom Cruise is this unwilling soldier that has to go fight in this alien invasion. And, and what we find out is, don't worry, I'm not ruining the movie by telling you this, like in the first five minutes of the battle, he dies. He dies, but when he, after he dies, he wakes up again. And immediately, it's like that morning all over again. And he's got to relive this whole day over and over and over until he figures out how to beat the aliens or win the war, and he's not really sure. It's kind of like Groundhog Day meets Independence Day with Will Smith. It's kind of like that. So I guess that's like, in celebrity math, it's like Bill Murray plus Will Smith equals Tom Cruise. That doesn't really work. I don't know. But whatever the case, that's where we land for the movie today. And I'm actually not going to go any deeper into the movie. It's, it's, it's a cool movie. I give it two thumbs up. But movies do these cool things for us. They, they make us ask questions. And, and they give us a launching pad to think about deeper things. I, I want to just go ahead and say, we don't need to look to movies and popular cultures for truth. Uh, it's art, you know. And, and it's not meant to be necessarily truth, but I do think that we can find God's truth in so many things in popular culture. It's the way that Jesus taught. It's why he used parables. I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but when he talked to people, he would talk about the things that they are already thinking about, about their farmland, about their sheep, about their families. It's just what he did, and we see that a lot in the New Testament, and so that's the idea. We want to look at these movies as a launching pad for something deeper, and here's the what if. What if 
you could go back and do it again? What if you could have a redo? What if you could be remade? What if you could do it all again? Would you do it? Would you take God up on that offer? And what would you change? What would you do differently? It's a deep question. but today, what I want to do is, is, is take a look at that question, that idea, and at Venture Church, what I love to do, I love to say this all the time, is that we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And so I got my Bible here, um, and what we're going to be doing is it's kind of neat because this question is sort of brought up by Jesus. Jesus talks about this idea of what if you could have a redo. We're going to be in the book of John. Uh, John is a book, and it's in the kind of like the last third of the Bible, and it's one of the four books that tells the story of Jesus' life and his teachings. So we're going to be there in the book of John. If you don't have a Bible today, we give them away for free. Uh, several were scattered out through uh, the room under your seats when you came in. I think there's probably also some there back by the coffee. Grab one before you leave today. You can look it up on your phone. And if you don't have a Bible, the, the verses I'm reading will be on the screen. Um, But we love to look at the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions or just the ponderings that we have. And it just so happens that Jesus deals with the same idea in John chapter 3. So while you're turning there, I see some of you turning. Let me just catch you up a little bit. Uh, By the time we get to John chapter 3, it's very early in that book, Jesus has already gained quite a following. Uh, Jesus has, has grown up there, uh, and, and he's, he's living his life as an adult man, and now he's decided, I'm going to begin teaching about the truths of God. And what the Bible teaches is that Jesus is God who became human and came to earth to show us the way to God. That was kind of, of Jesus' purpose. It was exactly Jesus' purpose. So the, by the time we get to John chapter 3, a lot has happened. John uh, tells us that, that Jesus has already got quite a following. He's already got his uh, closest followers, or most of them that we call the disciples, they're already there with him. He's gone through town. He's, he's kind of gotten a lot of attention in this metropolis-type area in Palestine called Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the big city. And he's gone in there, and he's gotten the attention of some religious leaders. See, the people that lived in Ju- Jerusalem at the time were Jews. Uh, they were Jewish. And, uh, and Jesus actually was also a Jew. He was born into a Jewish family. But when Jesus comes around and starts teaching the Jewish leaders take note of him because the things he's saying seem so powerful. People say things about Jesus like, there's no way he could have said that unless he was somehow sent from God. And this made the Jewish leaders a little bit nervous because what if he's a fake? What if he's a phony? What if he's leading people astray? Or what if he's right? What, what would that change about us, about our job? What, and so all this is happening. And so there's this particular group of Jewish leaders called the Pharisees. You don't need to know much about them. If, if you've read the Bible much, especially in the New Testament, you might get the idea that the Pharisees were kind of the bad guys of the Bible. And they get painted that way a lot. In fact, Jesus kind of calls them out on a lot of things. And they do some bad things. They really do. Uh, they're, they're the ones who really, who really gave Jesus a hard time. But they weren't all bad. Some of them were actually pretty good. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to be in John chapter 3, and we're going to meet one of the Pharisees who was actually one of the good guys. One of the guys who, he wasn't just throwing rocks at Jesus. He really wanted to understand Jesus and see where he was coming from. So we'll be in John chapter 3, starting there in verse 1. And let me introduce you to a guy. He's a Pharisee. His name is Nicodemus. Let's read this. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi. That's the word that means teacher. He says, teacher, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. So if you go back to that very first verse, uh, 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It might have been that it was the only time that Nicodemus had free to meet with Jesus. He was probably a busy guy. It might have been, some people have speculated that Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, would have been nervous to see Jesus in broad daylight and let all of his friends know that he's hanging out with Jesus because Jesus is kind of on the other team from the Pharisees. They're kind of, they have some different philosophies about, about God. And we don't know exactly why he came at night. That's been a topic of a lot of discussion. But what I want to do is move beyond when they met and talk about what was said because the story that unfolds is pretty important. See, what Nicodemus says here, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Why? Why do we know that? This is his rationale. For no one could perform the signs. Signs is often a word that means miracles. Uh, no one could perform the miracles that you're doing if God were not with him. In other words, Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, I got to give you credit, man. I've seen the things you do. I've heard the things you say. And you're indeed from God. Like, it seems evident to me that you're from God, but my question is, what do I do about that? What exactly does that mean for me as a Jewish leader? He said, no one can perform miracles unless God's involved. Nicodemus doesn't understand, but as a man of learning, he wants to understand. I think this is so important. Sometimes we want to find people that we disagree with, and then we just want to fight with them. Um, can, I just, can I just tell you something? That doesn't make you smart. That kind of makes you stupid. It's important to sit and talk with people that you may disagree with or misunderstand because it's important to try to understand them. That's absolutely what God does throughout the Bible. He loves people and he shows them by taking the time and the people that are, are serving him to understand people. And so that's what Nicodemus is doing. He says, look, I don't understand you, but I want to. So Jesus replies to this question. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus is trying to understand what's so special about Jesus. I heard about your miracles. I've seen the way that you teach. You must be from God, but I don't understand what all that means. So Jesus comes right back at him with this verse, verse 3. He says, it makes sense that you wouldn't understand this because the things that I'm doing, they're not of this world. It makes sense that you wouldn't understand that because the things that I'm doing are for people who are part of the kingdom of God, and you're not part of the kingdom of God. In fact, the only way to be a part of the kingdom of God is to be, he says this phrase, born again. We'll get to that. But you got to understand, Nicodemus is this great religious leader. And Jesus basically comes to him and says, you guys kind of start like a baby. It'd be like going to Peyton Manning, the great quarterback, right, for the Broncos, and going to Peyton Manning and saying, hey, listen, Peyton, if you really want to understand football, you're going to need to go to Little League, like flag football. Just give it a go. If, Peyton Manning's like, what? I wrote the book. You know? And this is Nicodemus. You, you want me to be born again? This idea of born again, it's a phrase that Christians have been using for hundreds of years. It's a great phrase. Uh, it means a lot. But I think it's something, especially if you didn't grow up in church or you haven't been around uh, Christians a lot, maybe the phrase born again is, is confusing to you at best, annoying to you at worst. What is this born again idea? So I want to take some time to dig into that a little bit. Um, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be born again? If you've ever been confused by this phrase, you're in good company because Nicodemus felt the same way. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, how can someone be born when they're old? That doesn't make sense. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And let's be honest, that's gross, right? <laughs> that's really gross. And so, I mean, I have seen both of my children be born the first time, 
I don't even want to think about what a second time would be like. And so Nicodemus is just sitting there like, what? I mean, seriously, he's not being crude. He's just like, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> so he's trying to understand. See, most of the New Testament uh, was written in Greek. And uh, we can actually get a lot of better understanding when we understand the language. Sometimes, as, as English-speaking people, we get words mixed up because sometimes one single word can mean more than one thing, and we might misunderstand somebody. And so it's, under, it's, it's important to understand the Greek word being used here. There's the phrase born again. It's actually two Greek words. And the word that's translated in most of our English Bibles is, uh, as again, is the word, uh, and I'm going to make sure I say it right, anothene, anothene. Anothene is a word, and it can be translated again. And that is how Nicodemus understood it, born again. But there's another way of understanding this word, and it kind of works because both definitions work for this context. It also could mean from above, from above. If you translate the word from above, which I think is the way Jesus was actually saying the word, it would say no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born from above. You see the difference? Born again, born from above. You don't just pick that up reading the English translation, but I did some other reading this week, and that, that is a very, uh, a very solid interpretation and translation of that word. And I think that's where Jesus goes. It brings the whole new understanding to what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus knows that it's impossible to have a second physical birth, and so Jesus says, you're right, this is not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's a birth from above. And so listen to Jesus' explanation in verse 5. So Jesus kind of clears things up. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Water and spirit have been phrases that throughout the Bible have been uh, kind of metaphors to describe God's spirit. Something that Nicodemus would have more likely picked up on. And Jesus goes on to explain in verse 6. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. We all know that. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying, you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Again, we're getting into Greek here, but the word spirit, pneuma, is actually the same word that can be translated as wind or air or breath. It's not confusing if you speak Greek, but we speak English. And so Jesus uses this kind of play on words. It's the spirit. But listen, the spirit is like the wind. You can't tell where it's going. You can't control it. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. Not a physical rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. And I started today by asking this question, what if you could go back and live another day of your life again? One moment, one decision, one phrase, what would you do? What would you say? How would you do it differently? And none of us believes in time machines or magic. But I think that we try all kinds of things to be reborn. We do. You've done it. You've done it. We work on changing our habits. We think, man, if I could just stop smoking, man, if I could control my eating, if I could work out more often, I could be remade. I could be a new person. We do it every year, the first day of the year, New Year's resolutions. 
I could be reborn. I could be remade. I could change things. Probably every week I talk to an adult who's going back to school. I'm a big fan of that. I think it's awesome. I think education is a way to completely change your life. And, and it's the, the whole mindset is I'm going to go here. I'm going to restart because I'm going to start as a nurse or as a teacher or as a business owner. That's what I want to do. I want to be remade. We start and end relationships. We start and end jobs. We get makeovers physically, haircuts and, and, and actual mess, makeup on our faces and new wardrobes. We do all of these things. Why? Because I think we want to be remade. We want to be different. But all of those things are physical. They're things that happen in the physical realm. And let me just stand, stand and say, I think those are healthy things. It's good to work on ourselves and improve ourselves physically. It's good to get better education. It's good to get a, more, uh, a, a better job that we can enjoy. But what about what's going on spiritually? What's happening on the deeper level? What Jesus offers is rebirth from above. We've all had our first birth, but not all of us have had that second spiritual birth. So what if you could have a do-over? Or what if you could start? What if you could begin? Jesus says you can. He says be reborn. Be reborn from above. We're not done digging into this passage in, in John, but... He talks about this birth being of water and spirit. Water, water and spirit, like I said, are these metaphors that can be used to describe God's spirit. One of my favorite um, commentators on the Bible, he's a great, uh, just, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a scholar is what he is. His name is Mark Moore. He's written a lot of books uh, about Jesus and the New Testament. And he says this about this passage. He says, you cannot grab the Holy Spirit in a headlock and squeeze some power out of him. Any more than you can grab some wind and keep it in your back pocket for later. The important question for a kingdom citizen is not, do you possess the Holy Spirit? But does the Holy Spirit possess you? Who's taking the lead? Who is in control? And what Jesus is offering is the opportunity to begin that transition of control. A few months ago, I got to go sailing with my buddy Dave. Um, correction, Captain Dave. Dave is a sailor now, and he, he's, he sails this this big sailing vessel and as part of his job is he takes people out on tours and, and retreats and, and does all kinds of really cool things. Um, and so I got to go out just with him and his wife and my dad and my son and we got to be his crew and we're learning all about the riggings and the sails and, and, and how to sail the ship and we met him up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. He had just sailed down from Richmond, Virginia to uh, James River, I guess, and he was about to head back out and sail back down to Washington, North Carolina and that was so cool. And so I asked a question that uh, I now realize was pretty dumb. I said, Dave, Captain Dave, how long will it take you to sail to Washington? And you know what he said? Classic sailor style. He said, hmm, depends on the wind. <laughs> he's a sailor. You depend on the wind. It's a sailboat. Sure, he's got a little motor. He might have some little paddles. But that's not the goal of sailing. The goal is to depend on the wind. And I think it's an awesome picture of what it's like for us to be born from above born of the spirit, spiritually reborn. It's about learning to rely on God to drive your life, to fill your sails. It's a whole new worldview, a whole new outlook on life. I no longer have to paddle. I no longer have to do small engine maintenance. I can rely on the wind, God's power, God's spirit to move me. And that's what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about. He says to Nicodemus, if you want to understand what I'm all about, you must be born again, born from above. And I think to us, 
He's saying, and so listen to me, like, I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know if you just came in for the first time today as, with a friend uh, because you got a, a postcard in the mail a few weeks ago or, or why you're here. Or maybe you've been in church your whole life. But I think what Jesus is saying to you, and I know he's saying it because we read it throughout the New Testament, is that you can be reborn. You can get a fresh start. And he begins with you being willing to submit to the power of God's spirit. Let him fill the sails. Let him move you. Nicodemus hears what Jesus is saying, but he's still not really sure what to do with it. So he asks this question. It's a question a lot of us ask. We see it in, uh, in, in verse 5. He says this. He says, how can this be? How can this be? You ever feel that way? You ever come to church and maybe it's been me, maybe it's been another preacher, you heard him on the radio, you saw him on TV, or I don't know, and, and, and someone's talking about this promise of new life and, and, and you're fixing your brokenness and Jesus is the answer to all your questions and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that, but, but how? Like how, where do I go? Where do I sign up? It's a good question. It's the question that, Jesus asked, that Nicodemus asked Jesus here. How can this be? How does it work? What are the mechanics of it? There's a lot we can talk about at church. We, we can talk about how to build a stronger family. We can talk about uh, breaking addictions. We can talk about loving the community and shining light in dark places. These are all things that we have talked about and all things that we should talk about. But a lot of that can be fluff if we don't understand the answer to the question Nicodemus is asking. And Jesus is about to give it to us. Let's look at verse 12. Jesus says, I, I've spoken to you of earthly things. Yet you still don't believe. How then are you going to believe when I start talking, talking about spiritual things? We all battle that dilemma, don't we? That dilemma of, I, I kind of get what's going on physically, but spiritually, that seems deep for me. Nicodemus has this same problem, and Jesus says, you, you see me teach. You said you see my miracles, and you believe that I'm from God. But if you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you, I don't know how to make it more clear. But Jesus gives Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt, just like he does to us. He explains it again. Anyway, he says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Let's hear it again. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is like a nickname for Jesus. We see it all through the stories of Jesus. And what he's saying is, how can this, how can this be, you ask? How can this be? Well, I'm God in the flesh. I've been to heaven. I came down here to talk about truth and love and shine light, and I know the way back. I was at my parents' house this weekend, and my, my son and I, we found something to do to bond together. We, we love the longboard together, so he just got a new longboard, so we're riding longboards out in my parents' neighborhood, and they got a lot of hills. And so I say to my son, hey, buddy, I know where a really good hill is. You want to go in and ride that hill? And so we go, and we, ride, we go bomb that hill, which is like just a really cool way of saying we rode down the hill but we go bomb the hill together we get to the bottom he was like that was awesome I was like you want to go to another hill he's like yes so I take him to another hill and we bomb that hill we get to the bottom he's like oh that was even better I said you want to go to another hill he's like yes there's another hill so we go to another hill and another hill I take him all over and by the time we get to the fourth or the fifth hill we're riding along and he, he goes dad how do you know where all the hills are how how are you finding this and I said son this is my neighborhood, 
Like, I grew up in this neighborhood. I know these roads like the back of my hand. I know where the hills are. I have been there, and I can take you there. Nicodemus says, how can this be? Jesus says, son, spiritual rebirth is my neighborhood. I'm God in the flesh. I have been there. I know the way back. You want to know how to get there? Follow me. That's why I came, to show you the way back. That's what being born again is about, is saying, I'm not going to follow myself anymore. I'm not going to wander around aimlessly looking for the cool hills to bomb. I'm going to look to Jesus, who's been there, and he knows the way back. And what does that mean? Well, if you're just starting your journey today, it's a bit of a journey. You got to talk to people who have been there too. You got to open your Bible and read it a little bit, ask questions. My biggest thing that I would I say all the time, if this is your first time, my biggest challenge to you is just come back again next week. Come back one more time. In fact, give it, give it three or four more times. If you were, if, if were going to date somebody and consider marrying them, you wouldn't on the first date decide, eh, nope, I quit. Actually, you might. <laughs> you might. That means it's a no. But hopefully today you felt something between you and God, and you're like, I'm willing to give this another few times. And that's part of letting him fill your sails. I've been there. I know where the hills are. Jesus goes on, and it's cool because he gives uh, Nicodemus something that he could really bite into. He, he gives a little picture of an Old Testament imagery. Remember in my Bible here, I showed you that we're back here in the, the back third of the Bible. The Old Testament is this first kind of two-thirds-ish of the Bible, and, and it, it's a lot of stories of people that were the, the leaders and the ancients and the patriarchs of the Jews. And so Jesus is going to dip back into those stories a little bit to talk about something that Nicodemus would have really understood. He only gives it to us in a sentence, but Nicodemus... Nicodemus would have seen the whole thing. This is verse 14. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes would have eternal life. Maybe you don't know that story. It's in the book of Numbers. I totally recommend that you check it out. But basically, this is what happened. Moses is a great leader of the nation of Israel. And what's happening at this particular juncture in history is Moses has kind of gotten a message from God that he should build this bronze snake and raise it up on a pole. Kind of sounds crazy. But that people who needed cleansing could look at that snake and they would be cleansed. That's the story. There's a lot more details. I'm not going to go into them right now. But when Jesus drops this little Moses bomb story, Nicodemus would have gone, oh, I get that. I know exactly that story. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so then Jesus says this. He says, just like people could look at that snake on that pole and be cleansed, the son of man, me, one day I'm going to be lifted up on a pole. And people are going to have to look to me for cleansing. Now, here's the thing. I don't know that Nicodemus had a clue what Jesus was talking about. He's like, what? Like, you're going to climb a pole? Like, I don't understand. What are you talking about? But as you play the story forward, if you know anything about Jesus, one thing you might know about him is that he was crucified on a cross. And that prophecy that he shows to, to uh, Nicodemus right there comes true. That anyone who is willing to stop trying to drive their own life but look at the pole, look at the Savior on the cross will be cleansed. How can this be? How can Jesus offer anything? Rebirth, eternal life, how are these things even possible? So Jesus wraps up his whole point to Nicodemus in verse 16. This verse might be the most popular verse 
uh, in the world from the Bible. It's John 3.16. You heard it? You've seen it in the football games? The dude with the big afro holding the sign, right? That's, that's John 3.16. And so this is the context where we find that verse, John 3.16. So after all that, this is what Jesus says. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Can I pause there? So many world religions, so many things that try to explain God, paint God as this vengeant, angry person who's, who's playing with humans like pawns on, on a chessboard, and God says, that's not me. I love the world. I want the best for them, so much so that I became a human. What do we call that there is becoming the son of God. He's like his own son. It's weird. But that's where we are, this realm of weird birth things happening. But so what's happening is God says, look, I'm going to make myself human. I got, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the second half of the verse, that whoever believes in him, whoever looks up at the pole, won't perish. Now, physically, we'll die. We all know that. But spiritually, if you're reborn spiritually, you could stay alive spiritually. will not perish, but have eternal life. Nicodemus said, how can this be? How can Jesus offer spiritual rebirth? Jesus said, I came because God loved the world so much, and I'm here to bring that love to the world, and I've been there, and I know the way. Follow me back, and I'll show you how you can be reborn. We don't know much about Nicodemus' story after that. We, we don't. Uh, we, we, I don't know if he ever became a Christian. Uh, his name pops up a few other times. I hope that he did. We don't know if he did or if he didn't. But Jesus did just what he said he would do. I wonder when, when Jesus was crucified, because it was, it was right there, very near the vicinity where they had that very conversation a few years later, that Jesus was crucified. And I, I wonder if Nicodemus saw that or heard about that and thought, I met Jesus one time and he did say, I will be raised up and people will have to look to me for cleansing. Wow. I just wonder if that happened. Maybe you haven't heard that whole story, and so I want to back up. I don't want to assume that anybody in the room knows the whole story of Jesus, and it's been a little while since I've just straight up told it. I'm going to give kind of the Cliff's Note version, but it, man, it's, this is what happened. Basically, the Jewish leaders, many of them were Pharisees, and they were those bad Pharisees that I told you about, like Nicodemus was a good one. The, there were a lot of them were kind of mad and upset at Jesus because of his claims to be the Son of God. They called that blasphemy. And so what they did was they arrested him. And they gave him this swift, unjust trial under the veil of night, like they did it in the middle of the night. No one even could even come and, and bear witness to it except the people that were really angry. So then he was, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to death. I say he was wrongly accused because the, the, the charges he was facing was that he claimed to be God. He was wrongly accused because though they killed him, three days later he proved, I am who I say that I am, and he rose from the dead. He defeated death, which is a hard pill to swallow. If you're just getting started in Jesus, man, I encourage you to just take some time to think about that. But let me tell you something. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to hundreds of people. And book upon book upon book has been written about those accounts. I'm not just talking in the Bible. I'm talking about extra biblical literature, things that you can find outside of the Bible. There have been some very brilliant people who have called themselves atheists or agnostic, but by studying the simple facts uh, and the historical accounts behind the resurrection of Jesus have come to say, this seems pretty airtight. But don't take my word for it. Go, go check it out. There's books out there. Uh, I'd, love, I'd love for you to 
to grab me on the way out or you shoot, shoot us an email to the church, info at jointheventure.com. Hey, I want some of those books you were talking about. I'll send you a list of them. They're on our website. Um, Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And here's the thing. What I want us to hear today is that Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. When he promises that you can be reborn, born again, he's not just saying that. And you don't have to take my word for it, though. I could tell story upon story. I know I could, I could talk to a few of you. I know several of you who right now would be like, dude, I would get on stage right now and tell my story. I know a lot of you would. But you don't have to take our word for it. I want to look at the word of another guy. His name was Paul. Paul was a Jew. Uh, he was actually one of the bad Pharisees. Uh, we read about him in the Bible. And, and uh, Paul was such a, a bad Pharisee in that he saw that thousands of people were becoming Christians, and he hated them for that. So he goes to his leaders, the leaders in the Jewish council, and he says, listen, I got a way we can stop Christianity. We'll just drag them in the street and kill them. That'll do it, right? Turns out, historically, that doesn't work. When per Christians are persecuted, the faith only grows stronger. It's, it's awesome. But Paul says this, and he says, I'm going to go out, and, and he makes a living of it. He goes out, and he's dragging Christians out, and he's making them renounce their faith or die. It's terrible. That is Paul. Now, Paul ends up learning about Jesus. He ends up discovering about Jesus' love and Jesus' teaching, and he goes, I got to change. One of the first things Paul does is he goes and he's baptized. He's reborn, and he says, I want to make my life not about me driving the ship, but about letting God's spirit put wind in the sails. So that by the time he dies, he has written the majority of the New Testament. This is Paul, the apostle who started out as a Christian killer and now is the greatest missionary to ever live. And so we, write in this, we read in this letter that he wrote to a church in Rome, this is the book of Romans. These are Paul's words talking about being reborn. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Um, actually, I think we're going to start at verse 3. He says this. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Kind of like, if you've seen a baptism, we talk about it a lot here. It, it's, it's, a, it's a visual symbol of kind of going down into a grave. You see that? Like body in the water. He said, do you know that when you're baptized, it's like you're being baptized into Christ's death? You're saying, I agree with this. I want to be part of this. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him, with him, through baptism, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And this verse is a great picture of exactly what happens in Christian baptism. Like the whole process of being born again, I'm not going to say that it all begins and ends in the waters of baptism because that would be foolish. I've seen people that have gone into the water and then have gone on to be despicable people who didn't live for God. I've seen people who have waited and waited and waited for baptism, but they are living for Jesus all the time. But when we examine what the Bible says about how to most definitely say, I want to choose Jesus, every single time through the New Testament of the Bible, the people who make that decision they're immediately baptized. I want to I issue a challenge to you today. Be reborn. For you, that might mean just starting to adjust your brain because you've thought, you know, I, I don't really get the whole God thing, but I like these people that we hang out with and the coffee's pretty good, so I'll keep coming and hanging out. And so maybe that's what you're, maybe your rebirth needs to just begin in your head and you just got to work on the details. You got to work on the believing part, the faith part. I don't even know if this God thing is what it's all about. I don't know. Maybe you're on the fence right now. You've been doing church, God, Jesus for a little while, but now you hear me talk about this baptism stuff, and you're like, well, I've seen people do that, but do I, do I need to do that? Man, that's what we see the Bible teachers teach us. 
that a moment we can mark our rebirth is to go into baptism. And in that moment, the Bible says that in that moment we receive forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which by the way is the wind that fills our sails. Maybe for you the decision is, I mean, I've been doing this and I just, I need to take that, extra, I need to take that step. If that's something the Bible teaches, I want to do that. But understand this, the water doesn't clean us. I mean, hopefully you took a bath in the last 48 hours, okay? It's not about taking a bath. It's about a pledge of a clean conscience towards God. God, this is my new start. And like when someone gets married, they already love each other. They've already decided they're going to do life together. They may already be sharing some finances, but they say, no, this moment this is my pledge of a clean conscience to my spouse. I'm going to devote myself to you for the rest of my life. And that's what baptism can be. Maybe for you, you've already made that step. Like you've been baptized, you've been living in church Jesus stuff for a long time. But listening to this stuff right now makes you go, but I'm not sure I'm letting God fill my sails. I'm rowing pretty hard right now. I got the motor on, I'm using a lot of gas. My challenge for you is be reborn. Rethink the way that you make decisions. Adventure, we call that being a God chaser. Putting God at the center of all the decisions that we make. Putting God at the center of all of, uh, of our passions and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. And you know what that is? That's allowing the power of God to drive us. You can be born again. You can get a fresh start. There's no time machine. Thank goodness there's no aliens attacking the planet. And Tom Cruise might still be running somewhere. <laughs> but God can give us a new life through Jesus. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for the message that you, uh, that you gave Nicodemus. Um, man, I couldn't imagine having been in that audience just sitting <laughs> just with Jesus. Wow. But I pray that uh, we can have some of that experience as we read the Bible ourselves. Lord, this morning there's, there's someone in this room, I'm sure of it, who has not decided to... Uh, let you remake them. Um, and, and God, there's brokenness and there's questions and there's doubts and there's fears. There's all kinds of things that keep us away from you. And so I pray that maybe just through the love of this community, we can help to mend some of that brokenness and that ultimately we can all turn to you. God, we love you and we thank you for this moment and this time we have together to celebrate the life you bring. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.